today I, I have on my heart, and I couldn't shake this thought as we were leading up to this. And uh, so today is going to be a different message. So uh, I, I pray that no matter what I speak on today, you understand that it applies to everybody. But I also know that I'm, I'm speaking to specific people that are here today. And I'm going to ask you this question. Actually, I'm going to ask you three questions, but I want to open up with this. Have you ever been wrong before in your life when you think that you were right? And it's all of us. I remember one time we were gathering down here in the front of the church. It was Sunday night after church. A lot of times we get together and we go out to eat. And everybody was saying, let's go down to Donato's and uh, get pizza and just hang out in the, the room that they had and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, man, I don't like doing that. Because every time we do, you have to order the pizza and you have to wait on the pizza. And I'm hungry after church and I don't want to wait. I want to eat. And so I, I snuck over to the side and I took out my phone and I said, you know what? I'm going to be the smart guy. And uh, I called Donato's and I said, I've got an order and I'll pick it up. And I thought, man, I'm going to walk in and everybody else is going to be lined up and they're going to be hungry. And I'm going to walk up to the counter, sit down, open my pizza and eat in front of all of my friends for the glory of God. But, uh, <laughs> and I mean, I had this all worked out and everybody's ordering and I went up to the thing and I said, I've got a pre-order and I'd like, you know, and it's already paid online and everything like that. And they came back and they said, sir, we don't have your pizza. According to our records, you ordered that at the other Donato's in the city next to us. And I'm like, no, I ordered it on Bryce Road. I ordered it. Sir, we have two locations on Bryce Road. And I was wrong. And I was so confident that I was right. And, and, and that's, that's something that happens. The biggest time that I ever had with it, when I was like... I mean, like, so sold into this. We, we bought our house, and uh, we, uh, first day or second day of being there, and we're, we're ripping all these things out. And I've told you guys illustrations about this before, and Mr. Kaler will remember. Mr. Uh, Kaler and I were putting in electric, and I had to put a ceiling fan in the ceiling of our living room, but, but there was no access. It was drywall. So I told him, I said, guys, I've got the great idea. We're going to peel back the carpet on the second layer, cut into the floor, and then put the wiring through that way since we can't get to it by this way. So I measured out the room and I went up there and I put the X and then I shoved something up through the ceiling that I would find that. And I knew where it was. So I went up to the second floor and I went up from the wall and I measured out. And I measured. We pulled back the thing. We start ripping into the floor with, with uh, uh, the saw. And uh, actually, I got a picture. Here's, here's the very moment of us doing that. So Mr. Kaler's up there, and he said, Tony, are you sure you measure it? I said, yeah, it's right here. He goes, the hole is not right here. I said, I would not cut a hole in my floor and rip this out if I wasn't confident. I said, listen, I pulled the tape measures, and I went this way, and I went that way. I said, the hole is right there. He said, Tony, the hole is not right there. It is not there. I went back downstairs. I measured again from wall to wall. I went down there. I went back up there. I was so confident that I was right. And I was just, my mind was going crazy. And then something happened. I went outside and I looked up at the side of my house. I just bought the house. I, I was not, the second layer of the house sticks over the first layer of the house like two feet. So when I'm measuring against the wall, I totally missed the mark, even though in my mind I was totally right. Guys, it's one thing to miss the mark in life, 
when it comes to putting in a ceiling fan, when it comes to paying a bill or it comes to estimating how much carpet you need from your house. But it's different when we stand before God thinking in our mind that I have this all figured out, that I'm all good, I've covered all my bases, and God turns to us and says, depart from me, for I never knew you. You say, why in the world would you preach this to a bunch of believers? Because the thing is, I believe that there's a lot of people that either walk in the church doing the religious duty because that's what you do, and a lot of people that have been deceived by the devil thinking that they were saved By something and putting their confidence in something that's wrong. So I'm going to just give you the truth this morning. And I'm going to ask you as I go through this. That you will ask yourself these questions. Because I promise you the three questions that I'm going to give you this morning. Can separate you from heaven and hell. And I'm not. It doesn't matter if you've been saved. For for 50 years or you've been saved. Because I can promise you I grew up with a false sense of salvation. And I'm not here to talk anybody out of it. But I was so convinced because of the good deeds and the actions and my Christian education and everything that I had in my mind that those things saved me and I was wrong. Wrong. Satan is a deceiver and I'm not here to talk people out of their salvation. I'm not trying to twist you coming on the altar. I just want to be blunt with you about the truth. In Romans 3.23 it says, For all have sinned. All. It doesn't matter who you are. I'll say some things that might ruffle your feathers, but I'm just going to tell you the truth because it is the truth. Billy Graham was born a sinner. He came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and was saved and became the man that he was because of what God did in his life. The Pope was born a sinner. Every person that was ever born of woman on the face of this planet outside of Jesus Christ was born a sinner. It doesn't matter what your lineage is. It doesn't matter who your father was. It doesn't matter what your upbringing was. It doesn't matter if you say that I was walked through the door of the church from the time that I was an infant. It does not matter for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That that verse simply implies that you do not add up in your righteousness to merit your salvation. Your goodness is not enough to get you into heaven. And let me say, by the, by the fact that I'm saying this, this is a matter of heaven and hell. Heaven is real. God created it. There is no sin there. If God allowed sin to be in there, it would not be heaven anymore. God created it to be a place of perfection. It is a place of promise. It is a place of no death, no sorrow, no dying, and no separation ever again. It is a place that God gave his life to prepare for us. It's not clouds harps but family and god heaven is real but so is hell hell is a word that is avoided in our society unless it's being used as a cuss word or describing somebody's bad day but the truth of the matter is hell is a place of eternal torment it is not fictional it was not even planned or prepared for us the Bible even says in Matthew twenty five forty one, Then shall he say unto them at the left hand, Depart from me, curse into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Before you get messed up on this, I'm going to tell you, hell was not prepared for us. It was prepared for the Satan and his angels and the sin to be cast into. 
Hell, there is no going back. There is no second chances. There is no do-overs. There's no way of talking your way out of it. It's not a joke. It's not a party. There is a highway that heads there, but it's not a place that you want to go. The Bible actually said as broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many, many that there get on there and they follow after that because of the fact is that they've been deceived in their minds to think that there is not such a place. But I want to give you truth today. The truth is that every person in this room is headed to one of those two locations. You say, I'm an atheist. I do not believe in this. Let me tell you the truth. There is not one atheist in hell. And you say, oh, wait a minute. The atheists go to hell. I'm telling you today, there's not one atheist in hell. It will be a sure way to change your mind because the Bible literally says about the rich man in hell he lift up his, his eyes. There was no transitional debate. There was no standing before God begging for a second chance. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I'm going to tell you the truth. You can either do that now or you will do that then. You will either face your sin now or you will face it then. That is the choices that we have before us. And you say, why are you saying this now? Because of the fact that I know that God placed this on my heart for a reason. It's either then or now. You will face the reality of sin. So I'm going to back up to Romans chapter 3 and work my chapter 3 verse 10. And I will work my way up to Romans 3.23. And I know our time is short, but I'm going to ask you to confront yourself with these three questions. Question number one, have you recognized your spiritual condition? Have you recognized your spiritual condition? Because Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. The, 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 the point that God is pointing out, that there is none righteous before you get into any of the mental debates that we normally fight with. The Bible says there is none righteous. The word righteous means perfect or brought to the part of completion or without sin. Because we try to weigh it out as there are good and there is bad. And I do a lot of good and I do less bad. And so therefore I must be on the good side because of the fact that I do so much good. The Bible says it's more like this. Heaven is a place of perfection. It's a place of holiness. It's a place of righteousness. One sin in your life means that you therefore are a sinner and are not permitted into heaven. One sin. So God just clarified it like this. Before you break out the scales, before you start adding it up, let me just make it as simple as possible. There are no one. There is not one person that is without sin on the, place of the, on the face of the planet. I don't care if they call themselves a God. I don't care if they tell you that you can confess your sins to them. There is not one righteous outside of God that is without sin. Why is God emphasizing this point? And I thought about this. I've preached this verse. I've shared this verse. Because I realize that we don't want to be called wrong. Our human nature... The very reaction to you coming out to me and telling me I'm wrong is to come back and tell you that I am right. Automatically. Hey, you did that wrong. Well, wait, wait, it's not that bad. Hey, you're, you're bad. You, you messed up on that quiz. Well, you reworded that you worded the question wrong. Every one of us, our human nature. I don't like how you do this. Who are you to judge me? Our rebellious nature, therefore, shakes our fist at God and says, who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? See, Satan... 
and hell and all that that was prepared for hell, we sit there and say, I'm not as bad as Satan. I'm not as bad as all that. I'm not, that's not me, God. It's human nature to rebel against God and be able to sit there and say, that's not me. I'm a pretty good person. I try really hard. See, the righteousness of God means that there is all of us that have messed up, committed sin, or let me put it like this, you've fallen short. You're, you're that person that's measuring out your good. And you're going from there and just saying, hey, I know that God would not send me to hell. I know that I am right. And God pulls back the curtains and says, you missed it. It was Jesus and Jesus alone. It's the blood of Jesus Christ and only the blood of Jesus Christ. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Anything else means that we have fallen short. See, we face the verdict that tells us that we're guilty and we reject the verdict. We fight back. So let me explain your spiritual condition. Because I think sometimes we try to add up and justify and every time I talk to believers or non-believers and they don't fully understand this and they go to church or they grew up in this, they begin to make the list. First thing people say is, Man, I was, I was baptized, or I, I, I remember going to the altar when I was four, and my mom and dad prayed for me. And, and I'm not saying that if you prayed at four, five, six, eight, whatever, and you meant it from your heart that you're not saved, but a lot of people go through the motions and not understand with their heart and their head. God describes our spiritual condition like this. Ephesians 2, 5 says, even when we were dead in sins. This is the reality of our spiritual condition. I know we don't think of this, but we, we use these verses like this a lot. Dead means you can't do it. Stop and think about when God says, and he comes up to you and says, you're dead in your sins. Be like me walking over the graveyard right now and say, all right, guys, I want you all to do better. I want you to cut this grass and I want you to da 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 and all this other stuff. That's impossible. Let me tell you, in our spiritual condition, for you to think that you're going to fix yourself up or improve yourself or get closer to God, God says you're dead in your sins. You can't fix it. You can't change it. You can't run. You can't hide. You can't do anything. You are dead in your sins. You are helpless in your sins. Meaning that in all of your church work, attendance, giving, good and bad attitude, however you want to weigh it out, none of that can fix you. Do you see your condition of being dead? The Bible says in Romans three eleven, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that understandeth. I, we, we focus on Romans 3.10 so much, but Romans 3.11 starts to describe those that have fallen short. Meaning, do you realize in your condition that you've been deceived? There's none that understands. Do we get this? Do we understand that Satan has done a great job to manipulate our minds and conceive us that we're not that bad or we're not going to hell because God is a loving person and how could a loving God and all these lies that we build up in our minds. The same thing happened with the Garden of Eden. If you think about that, Satan attacked him and he went up to him and the whole idea that he did was to manipulate what God had said and said, hey, it's not as bad as what God said. What they did is they ate of the fruit and they went and hid themselves from God. After they had fallen short of the glory of God, the first thing they did was run from God. The Bible says that there's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God. Have you ever noticed 
that those that don't have God, it's our human nature to, want, to not want God? When your parents come up to you or <clears throat> come up and say, we want you to go to church, mom and dad, get off my back. It's the same thing. It's our human nature. Don't tell me I am wrong. Get out of my face. Leave me alone. It's amazing to see how in our sin, how we try to fix it. Have you ever thought that's why Adam and Eve took the fig leaves? That's our good works. Well, I, I, I'm naked before God. I'm sinful. I'm ashamed. Well, I'll make it better. And God went up to him and said, first of all, God went seeking after them. You can't hide from God. When you run from God, he chases after us. That is the whole purpose of the cross, of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He came to seek and to save that which was lost because all we like sheep have gone astray. Hey, let me, let me get real, real with every man here. And I, I'm pointing out the guys because for some reason it seems to be more with the guys than anything. If your wife has to constantly get on you to go to church, and honey, why can't we pray before we eat? And honey, why can't we? Why can't we? And in your mind, you're saying, I don't want to. Something is wrong when you reject God in your life. When you're constantly going the other way, when you're constantly, I don't want to hear it. See, the thing is, when there's a relationship with God, there is a love for God. When there's a love for God, there's a desire to be with God. I'm not saying that we don't have bad days, and I'm not even saying as your pastor that there's some Sundays that I wake up and just say, I'm tired, I don't feel good, or whatever. But I am saying internally in our hearts when we're wicked and there's a rejection of God in our hearts that I don't want Him. Get out of my face. Leave me alone. I worry with young people that sit there and their parents just say, well, they're going through a rebellious stage and I know I'm getting very confrontational when I say this. And you used to look there and you try to convince your child, well, I remember when he was eight years old. I remember in Awana. I remember in junior church. I remember whatever that he said this prayer. Let me tell you what happens when you accept Christ as your personal Savior. He comes into your life. I'm not making this up. It's what God says. He comes into your life. When God steps into your life, there are some things that changes in your life. You're not the same. And I'm not saying that you walk out of that altar as Billy Graham, but I am going to tell you that you do walk away with the Spirit of God that begins to convict and change and pull you closer to Him. And then all of a sudden, that teenager, that young person goes off to college and they have no desire for God and no desire for spiritual things. They have no desire to praise God, no desire to do righteous things. You must evaluate your spiritual condition to ask yourself, why are you that way? And I'm not going to deny the fact that there are some that just literally backslide and there's some that just get rebellious and some. But I tell you, there is also something that ought to click in your heart to say, this is wrong and I need to get right. Don't label yourself something you are not. These next verses go in and talk about how we're defiled. And God just breaks it down and he said, let me, I don't care what you did on the outside. I'm not caring about your performance. When he gets into this, he said, look, look at verse 13. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Their tongue, they have used deceit. The poison of an asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Do you guys see? And you read that and go, I have no idea what that means. Notice how the Bible describes it. Your throat your tongue, your lips, your words, your actions, and your path. God says, I know your heart. 
because I know what comes out. The, the, the deceit, the lies, the lust, the anger, the greed, the bitterness, the wrath, all those things. You can cover it up. You can wear a suit. You can wear a tie. You can sing the songs. You can bring the family Bible to church. That does not change who you are on the inside. See, what happens is God is just saying, let me tell you, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You can sit there and fool your parents and put up the facade all day you want. But the truth of the matter is when you get around your friends and all there is is wickedness that comes out and your desire is not for anything spiritually with music or anything spiritually with your dating or anything spiritually when it comes to standards and there's no change in your life, something's wrong. Something is wrong. And God just said the path of misery, when you're walking down a path that leads to destruction, there's no good in there. Something is wrong. Do you understand? Ask yourself, do you get your spiritual condition? That you are dead, that Satan is a deceiver, and the fact that we have defiled ourselves, we are rotten, fallen short. There is none righteous, no, not one. But I take you to question number two. Romans 3.17 says, And the way of peace have they not known. And the way of peace have they not known. Now, question number two, do you have real peace? Do you, I, I grew up very familiar with God. When I was a kid, I went to Christian school. I went to vacation Bible school. I, I went to Awana and Cubbies and everything. I had a full understanding of God. But I had no relationship with God. There is a difference. You can quote the Romans road forward and backwards. You can quote the books of the Bible forward and backward. That does not mean that you have a relationship with God. But let me tell you, as I mentioned that God steps into our life, the Bible describes Jesus Christ as being the prince of peace. The prince of peace. God does not just give you peace. He is peace. And there's a reason that God describes this of peace because there are those that go to church and yet somebody can preach on hell or eternity and we get so nervous or scared and worked up. We'll watch the news and we'll get all nervous and scared. And well, I, I hope you see what God does when he comes into our life. The Bible says, for God is not the author of confusion. You say, well, I know that, but of peace. You sit there and you have people that sit there and they agonize at night. Jen would testify to this. She's told me stories when she got saved as a pastor's wife and going to church and being in Bible college and everything else. And after that, and she said, I would lay in bed at night and say over and over again, God, don't come. God, don't let me die. God, don't let me go to hell. Because she had no peace in her heart. You know the story when they were on the boat and the storm came up. That the disciples were tormented. They were scared to death. And Jesus went up and he was in the presence of them in that boat. And Jesus cried out, peace be still. And God put a calm on them. I'm not saying that we're not going to get scared or worried or frustrated. But I can tell you this, that in my life, God has given me a peace to know that no matter how I go, I know where I am going to go. I have a confidence, and we are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body as to be present with the Lord. That is peace. Paul said it that way. He said, I am confident of this. I know, I know without a fact. 
without a doubt that if I die right now, I know that I'm going to heaven. So I ask every one of you, I don't care if you've heard me preach 50 other times, do you have confidence to know that if you die today, that you would go to heaven? Or do you have that fear or a lack of peace? The Bible says that God gives us a peace that goes beyond all understanding. You realize what that is and why God's describing it as that. Because God is saying when the world be, is being torn upside down and everything's falling apart, God is in the boat that declares peace around us. It says it shall keep your hearts and mind. That word keep means to guard. That means that God sits there and when you hear messages about hell and Satan and demonic warfare and things to come and revelation and seven years and all that other stuff, God says, hey, you're in the arms of God. You're, you're, you're protected by the love of God of what he did in our life because we accepted him here rather than facing him as our judge. I've got one last question. Do you understand your spiritual condition? Do you have real peace? And this one's different. But do you have a proper fear of God? Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. See, when you have an understanding that God will be your judge, when you have an understanding that one day God will, say like we read in Matthew 7 where he says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, because I never knew you. You've got to have a proper understanding of God. God today loves us so much that he died on the cross. He offers salvation. Salvation comes through grace and mercy because you're given what you do not deserve. It's not by works of righteousness which you have done, but his mercy that he extends the gift of God. But on the day when you stand before God, if you reject the gift of God, when you reject salvation, when you say, I don't need what God has, he will be your judge. He is a just God. You've heard the illustration before of somebody standing before God or standing before a judge and walking in there and the guy did something horrible but the, 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 the lawyer gets up and says, yes, he did that, but can I tell you all the good that he did? And then that family's over there that had their son or daughter murdered. Says, well, I let the guy go. I guess there's enough good to outweigh his bad. No, he would be an unjust judge. You don't just ignore the wrong because of good that was present. God's not going to be up there with a bunch of scales. You are convicted as a sinner. And the only way that you can have forgiveness is through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you stand before God with your sin, you are guilty before God. Case closed. That's it. You can beg and plead and even point back to the point you were in this church right now. But God will hold you accountable saying that you knew the truth. The following verse comes into the close of this. He says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 24, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The word justified means made right. When I come now before God, and I encounter the truth or I encounter the gospel. Or I come, or the reality of hell is before me and I come encounter with that. And I ask God to forgive me. He freely forgives me and makes my wrongs right in the presence of God. He covers it with his blood. 
He takes my place. See, my condition changes. I go from lost to found. I go from sinner to a child of God. And I'm not saying that I don't struggle. I'm still flesh and I will always have flesh. But I know that the debt of my sin is paid for because I confess my, my mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in my heart. And the reason why I'm bringing this now is because God offers it freely to us to be justified freely by His grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's only by Christ Jesus. Jesus <clears throat> describes Himself in the New Testament as the door. Jesus is the door to heaven, forgiveness, peace, all the things that we do, he is the door. So if you have justified and been deceived in your mind that it's anything other than faith in Christ, you are wrong. And I'd much rather you face that reality now than then.